In Ira Levine's satirical novel, The Stepford Wives, he tells the story of a fictional town of Stepford, Connecticut, where the men in the town replace their wives with robot facsimiles that are fawning and submissive and impossibly beautiful wives. The Stepford wife is a wife that always says yes, that smiles and does what, her, what is, her husband wants. The wives live to serve and appease their every need. The problem with the Stepford wife is that there's no real relationship in the book. Just automatons, mindless robots, and mindless marriages. In our relationship with God, we tend to do the same thing. We treat him as a Stepford God. We seek him out when we want something done, when we want our own bidding. When we need something from him, we seek our Stepford God out. The problem in our relationship with God is when life happens, when things fall apart, and when he doesn't do our bidding or our will. We begin to question our relationship with him. Or we begin to question his relationship with us. We begin to question whether he even exists or he even cares. Insecurity begins to make its home in our heart. Darkness settles in. The season of Advent reminds us of our true reality around us. We are people waiting in a world of darkness, in a world filled with atrocities, evil, and despair, in a world filled with insecurities. We wait. We are a people filled with that evil, with that pain, with that burden, with that darkness. We are a people filled with that insecurity. Our circumstances and situations are not ideal. They are not as how we want them to be. Advent, this, this season of Advent, puts us at the crossroad of darkness and despair and hope. Hope being a future-oriented faith. In our waiting, in our Advent, doubt comes easy, doesn't it? Despair seems to dominate. Insecurity is our way of life. And it's easy to forget our hope or think hope is in opposition to our insecurity. Living in this Advent demands a real relationship with God. Not a Stepford relationship or imaginary relationship, but a real relationship with God. And a real relationship with God lives, as Travis Scott says, in faithful doubt. A real relationship with God lives in faithful doubt. You may how does that even make sense? Right, and here's how I'm going to define doubt for you. Doubt is our insecurities with God. It's not his insecurities with us because he is not insecure with us. It's our insecurities with God. And so we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt his word. We begin to doubt who he is. We begin to doubt our circumstance, whether he's present. All those things we begin to doubt because we become insecure in our relationship. 
Will He fulfill His promises to us? Faithful doubt. Right? How to, how to live a real relationship with a faithful doubt. How can you trust someone or how can you trust God when you have insecurities? Well, I tell you that you do it all the time. You have relationships with people all the time and there are insecurities in those relationships. How do you trust people with your insecurities? How do you live in a real relationship with God? Trusting Him in your insecurities. We need to learn to live in faithful doubt. To live in our insecurities, our relationship with God. To live in the hope and the darkness and despair of our circumstances. During this Advent season, we're going to... turn the next four weeks the book of Habakkuk to learn to live in a real relationship with God and what that means. So let's turn to the prophet Habakkuk and learn. I'm not going to reread the whole thing to you. First you need to know a couple things about Habakkuk. All right, He's actually a little known uh, prophet to the southern kingdom of Judea um, and Judah. Uh, in fact he's so little known that probably other prophets didn't even know about him. Uh, and so there's not much said about Habakkuk. And this, this book or this writing, it was around 640 B.C. to 605 B.C. So those that know a little bit of biblical history, we know that that is when the Assyrians occupied the north, northern and southern kingdom. This is the, the waning moments of this, the northern and southern kingdom, right? Uh, Babylon is coming in, and we heard it here, the Chaldeans are coming in. God promises them that they're going to come in, wipe out the Assyrians, and take control uh, of the Israelites, both the northern and the southern kingdom. And so this is, this is kind of written right in that period, right? And so you, you might know some of the story in the book of Daniel, right? 605, when the Chaldeans or the Babylon Empire conquers. Uh, both the northern and southern kingdom. Habakkuk is a prophet, and a prophet is a messenger of God. But what's interesting about this book is that the prophet doesn't address God's people. This book, most prophets, they, will, they get an oracle from God, they get a vision from God, uh, they give a warning from God or a promise from God, and they address God's people. Habakkuk doesn't address God's people. Who does he address? He addresses God. This book is about a relationship from a person to God and how he deals with that relationship, how he deals with his life circumstances. Habakkuk in this book has two complaints, and that is an adequate way of saying what they are. Two complaints, grievances towards God. And we're going to hear them this morning again. And this book goes on to how those are resolved. And so the first one, Let's outline it today. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. That is interesting phrasing, isn't it? It's not what he heard. It's what he saw. And what did he see? O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And will you not hear? Or cry to you, violence! And you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. 
What's an interesting thing here is Oracle, we think of this kind of a, as an Oracle at, as a vision or kind of a, a, a word from God that's given to people, right? And the people spread out. But you know how Oracle could also be uh, most accurately translated as burden. So this is the burden which God gave and God showed Habakkuk. And, and here it is. Here he is. Habakkuk actually sees the world around him, and it's a burden to him. The world around him, and it's overwhelming to him. And what did he see? What is this burden that Habakkuk sees? He sees destruction. And destruction here is enslavement, oppression, using of people. People using other people. People enslaving other people. People oppressing other people. This is what Habakkuk sees. He sees violence. He sees people doing physical harm, being cruel to each other. He sees strife. These are conflicts, contention, actually literally lawsuits that are brought to the courts. Everyone is suing each other. This is what Habakkuk sees. But here's the thing I want you to understand. This is not Habakkuk seeing the world do this. He's seeing the people of God do this. This is the burden upon Habakkuk. He's seeing the people of the southern kingdom. Not the Assyrians, not the northern kingdom, but the people of Judah. God's chosen people. He's seeing the church rise up and oppress. He's seen the church rise up and sue each other. He's seen the church rise up and do violence against each other. The thing is, he's saying, I can't tell the difference between the world and God's people. In fact, I think they're acting worse. And in the midst of all this, he's like, the law is paralyzed. When he's, the law of God's word is paralyzed. Justice is paralyzed. There are, the courts are perverted. Rich people win the day because they have the power. And they can oppress the poor people. The religious leaders are turning away from God's word. And they're turning to false prophets. We know this because we know the story. Throughout the rest of scripture, what they do. And they're turning to false gods. They're turning to gods that speak to them what they want to hear. They're turning anywhere to hear what they want to hear for their own comfort. And the summary of the burden of Habakkuk is corrupt behavior and corrupt leadership by the people of God that have abandoned God and abandoned his law and his way. And he says it in verse 4, the wicked have overtaken the righteous. And the righteous, he's talking about God's people. The people of Judah. They've become wicked. And they're overtaking the righteous. And in the midst of that, you see the burden that God has given Habakkuk? In the midst of that, you think his complaint would be to God about God's people, wouldn't it? God, I've got a complaint. Your people are terrible. They're horrendous. Do you see what they're doing? They're terrible. But that's not the complaint he has. The complaint Habakkuk has, he complains to God about God's response to his people. You're not doing enough. 
Where are you? How long are you going to let this go on? I mean, this is like someone would come up and complain to you about your child's behavior and say, why aren't you taking care of it? How would you respond to that? Right? Like, who are you to deal with that? Or another child coming to you, right? Mom, Dad, look what Jimmy's doing. Why aren't you doing anything about it? I mean, that is a back complaint. He's not complaining about the behavior. He's complaining about the parent's response. He's asking, how long are you going to allow this to happen? How long are you going to allow this evil? You don't seem to care, God. You don't seem to care. How long? Why are you silent? Where are you? And so then we begin to understand Habakkuk's burden. The burden is about God's silence. Or his perceived silence. Or an action. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. Where you feel like God is absent. Or God is silent. Or God is not responding in the way you think he should respond. Why isn't God taking care of the justice in this world right now? Why does he allow these things to happen? Why does cancer even exist? Why do people have to hurt? Why is there suffering? I'm hurting God, where are you? And then you hear God's answer. God answers Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1, 5 through 6. It's a, it's a long answer there in the rest of chapter 1. I'm not going to read it all, but here's the summary. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to scenes dwelling not their own. And then it goes on and on to express how evil and terrible these Babylons are, these Chaldeans are. God says, I'm raising up these incredibly wicked people that have an incredible army that consume and wipe out. Man, you have no defenses against them. I'm doing a work. I'm raising them up. And God says, you, I can't t- you can't even understand what I'm doing. And of course, we understand Isaiah 55, 8, from God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways are my ways, declares the Lord. And, and we read that verse and think, oh man, that brings us comfort. But then you read Habakkuk, like, there's no comfort in that. I want to know. I want to know your ways. I want to know what you're doing right now. And we get it in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. That's a person that say, hey, life is good right now. Says that. When life is terrible, you get a response like Habakkuk. Where are you, God? I need to know. I need to know your ways. And, and God's response is, Habakkuk, listen, 
I'm raising up a horrible, no good nation. They're evil and they're wicked. They're worse than Judah. They're worse than what you're seeing. They're worse than the people of God. And he goes on to explain more and more how bad they are, verse after verse. They're just a terrible people. That's his answer. I'm raising up these wicked people to take care of these other wicked people. And they're more wicked than the first. And then Habakkuk, this is his second complaint, his second question, his second grievance to God. This is his response to God's response. He says, say what? What did you, what did you just say? Did you, just, did you say you were going to send something worse than the first? I mean, he doesn't even, it's not even comprehensible to him. How is this? Habakkuk 1.13, you who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. That's, all right, he's got God right, right? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Rachel said, why do you, you look at these Babylonians who are terrible people? And why do you allow them to harm God's people? Why would you allow that who are more righteous than they are? Even though, right, when you're comparing sins, righteousness doesn't really come into play here. Right? Just like, compare our sins. Like, let's just sit down and make a list of our sins and compare them, right? That doesn't end up well for anyone. But that, the point is that God makes it clear, yeah, they are worse. They are more violent. And that's my way. In this moment, this is my plan. Habakkuk thought the, the burden of God's silence was hard to carry. Now he has to deal with the burden of God's answer, which is even harder to carry. Because the answer is usually not what we expect. It's usually not what we desire. It's usually not our remedy. And then we have to deal with that. And we have to sit with that. Because when we go to God, we want to step for God. We want a God that confirms our biases. We want a God like, yes, you're right. Let's do your plan. So right, you're right on. You know exactly who I am and what I'm going to do. You know my thoughts and my ways. Since, since the, the election, right, and this is the election, there has been certain media, new, uh, different media, alternative medias that have skyrocketed in their ratings and their numbers and their views. Do you know why they have skyrocketed? Because this is the basic thing of most all, since the invention of cable news, of all things, is that they, their job is to cater to a certain segment of people so they will get money. This is a business for them. And so their job is to present facts in a way that confirms certain people's biases. That's their job. Right now, that's not to diminish all news organizations, all things, right or left, right? There's there certain people that come in that we, we, we try to present. We all know we have lenses. We all know we have biases. And right, we try to understand those and present it. But then even the watcher and reader of those news will confirm our biases and then we like read like, see? See that? This is the news that I like then because it confirms my bias. I mean, we never say it that way because we just assume that we're right. But here's the thing 
I will guarantee you, God will never confirm your bias. He will never, you cannot come to Scripture and say, see, that's my God. I if you are faithful in trying to figure out and understand and have a relationship with him, when you open up this book, you should struggle. It should set you back. A passage like today is like, what is going on? Who is this God? This God doesn't confirm my biases. He destroys them. He takes them down. And he begins to rebuild new things. I mean, how many times do we approach God with the desired outcome? Please do this for me, God. Be my step for God. And then we're surprised that God has a different answer. Or answer that doesn't make sense to us. Or is hard to understand. That's the burden of God's answer. There's a reason why he does that. Because we're so confused. We're the wicked ones. We're the broken ones. Basically what Habakkuk does is he tells God, listen, you're doing it all wrong. Your plan, you're siding with the bad guys. This makes no sense. But here's the thing. What Habakkuk doesn't know and what we forget day in and day out is the gospel. The gospel. The primary means in which how God operates. God uses our evil for his good. That's the gospel. God uses our evil for his good. That's, that's Genesis 50-20, what he does with Joseph. Right? He said all the evil of his brothers, he uses it for their salvation. If they didn't sell Joseph into slavery, they would have never been saved from the famine. I mean, they don't know that. But this is what God does. He uses our evil for his good. This is the very beginning when, when God makes the promise to Abram. And he gives him that vision and he makes a covenant with God. He makes a promise with Abraham and he puts him to sleep and he cuts the covenant and he, they, he walks through and not Abraham. And the symbol of that is when Abraham breaks it or God breaks it, which he will not break, breaks his promise to Abraham, who pays the penalty? The only one that walks through, which is God. And so this is, he sends a foolproof plan and says when we break the promises with God, who pays the penalty God. And so God declares his victory through death. And then we get this whole universe, this whole creation, which all things, all of temporal life is created through death. Dead things, things die and new life begins. It's, it is the cruciform existence of the universe. This is how, it's now nature, a log falls. New logs begin, the nutrients go in. We are all stardust. Right? We are all, in the universe, it explodes. Now, it's not simply God does more than that, right? But I'm just saying that on a physical level, right? We're just spread out in the universe. We are an explosion of stars that are spread out in material. Now, God breathes life into us. It's all in God's control, right? Don't, don't mistake me for that. But this is the cruciform. And so in the center of all of this is the good news that Christ dies on the cross to give eternal life because this is what he does. He takes our evil, which we put him on the cross, which he embodies on the cross, our sin. 
He takes the penalty for, and then it's our sin that nails him to the cross. And he uses that to secure our victory. This is God's plan. That would never be our plan. And this is how he operates. Time in and time again. Using our evil for his good. It's not that he's condoning evil. Don't don't mistake that. It's that there's nothing but evil. And so he'll use that evil. He sets up a plan in which he'll use that evil for his good. It's a foolproof plan if you look at it from logical standpoint, if you look from hindsight. The cross. And here's the point of all this book, right? In which the, uh, this, this burden, the burden of Habakkuk's uh, hearing God's silence and then living with God's answer. The point and application of this book, it's a model of a relationship with God. If you want to understand Habakkuk, if you want to understand what he's trying to tell us here, I mean, we, we heard the gospel, but like, how are we supposed to interact with God? We're supposed to interact like Habakkuk does. It is a model of how we are to interact with God. Habakkuk teaches us God wants a real relationship with us. He's not a Stepford God, but he is a real, active, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Habakkuk does not reject, or I'm sorry, God does not reject or get angry with Habakkuk. He handles all of Habakkuk complaints. Sometimes he delays in answering and sometimes he gives the answer. God knows both are a burden to us and that we struggle with both. He engages Habakkuk in his doubt. He engages Habakkuk in his frustration and his complaints. And and did you notice Habakkuk doesn't hide those from God. He brings them to God. Look, I'm really struggling with you, God. And this is what I'm struggling with you about. Not not the people, right? I'm struggling with them too, but listen, I'm struggling with you and your response and your plan, your silence, and now your answer. I don't like it. Habakkuk doesn't grumble underneath his breath to God. He doesn't ignore God. He doesn't stop coming to church. He doesn't stop having a relationship with God. In his doubt and his despair, what does he do? He takes that to God. Listen, I have doubt. I have insecurities. I'm troubled greatly. I bring them to you, God. And then he says, I love this. He says, I'll stand at the watch post and wait for your response. <laughs> God doesn't dismiss Habakkuk for that. He engages him. This is the relationship he wants. Our relationship with God does not reside in Candyland. It resides in this world which is broken. Habakkuk even addresses God in this, in this book as his, with his covenant name, not far off. He says, Lord, which is the word Yahweh, like his personal name. I have a relationship with you and I need to talk to you. I got things to say. And then he actually, he also challenges God. I don't like your answer. I don't understand your answer. I need more. I will wait. 
I will stand in my watch post. Basically, what Habakkuk is teaching us, he's teaching us to lament. He's teaching us to lament, to pray a prayer of lament to God. And if you, if you want to hear this book correctly, it, this is a loud cry. This is just not like a formal complaint, legal matter I need to address God. Like, this is a plea from the heart, crying out to God, telling God honest, emotional, painful assessment of his circumstances, of the evil and despair around him. And then asking God, where are you? Where are you? I don't see you, and this is troubling to me. What are you going to do with your doubts? With your questions and your frustrations with God and the world? Are you going to use them as an excuse to ignore him? To avoid him? Are you going to avoid conflict with God? Because maybe you don't think that's proper. Or you're going to live in this, you're going to live in this uh, candy cane relationship with God where, hey, I'm a faithful follower of God and no matter what happens, I'll be with him. I mean, that's just not honest. That's just not honest to our circumstances and to our situations. What's honest is like, man, I'm going to struggle with you, God. And the more and more I learn about you and the more and more life happens, I'm going to struggle and we're going to wrestle. The real relationship with God is not about a false bravado or unshakable faith and trust. Real faith doesn't live in that place. A real relationship with God recognizes our own insecurity, our own doubt with God. A real relationship with God from broken and hurt people like us comes in the form of insecurity in our relationship to God. I mean, this is our relationship with all people. All people, there's insecurity. And, and the, the, one of the main problems we have in the world today is that we don't know how to deal with that insecurity in ourselves, and we don't know how to deal with conflict with people. We think if there's conflict, there's a disagreement, that person either hates me or I have to hate them, and I can't be in a relationship with them. That is an absurd way to live. It's not how Habakkuk and God live together. It's not how God lives with us. Imagine the Meg. Like, like, listen, God, in God's perspective, like, these people are crazy. They're evil. They do evil things against me. Well, I can't, I gotta hate them. I must be against them. That's the opposite. He loves us. Why we're his enemies. And he still works in a relationship with us. He pursues us. He learns to live in that conflict. He's okay with that conflict because he grows in his security of himself. Like he's not insecure with us and that's how we deal with it, right? The key to one of our relationships is to, to make our insecurity smaller and smaller, right? And that's hard and time helps. Reconciliation helps, forgiveness helps. All those things help. And that's our relationship with God. We have these insecurities with him. And hopefully time in and time out, where with God those insecurities shrink, but they always be there. Be in conflict, it's okay. It's okay to be in conflict with people, 
there's a proper way to act, right? There's certainly the fruits of the Spirit we need to live in. And it's okay to be in conflict and struggle with God. God can handle it. He can handle your sin. He can handle your conflict. We get, we get insecure when, when we feel God is silent. It's a burden to us. And then we get insecure when we hear God's answer. But then the mustard seed of faith comes out of that insecurity. The step of faith is not understanding all of what God is doing or not doing, but the step of faith is coming to him in the midst of that. In the midst of that conflict and that struggle and that pain, being in a relationship with him. Relationship conflicts come from insecurity and they're resolved by promises. I know that might not make sense. Right? Conflicts come from insecurity. They are resolved by promises. Our conflicts and insecurities with God, right? It's from our insecurities. They are resolved by his promises, not our promises. His everlasting promises to us that are freely given to us. Now apply that to your relationships. Your, your conflicts in your marriage or any other relationship are a result of your insecurities, not the other person's. They have their own insecurities, right? But the, the conflicts are from your insecurities. They're resolved by promises that you make. I promise to love you. I promise no matter what you believe, what you think, how you act, I will love you. I will care for you. I will be there. Lamenting to God about the world, lamenting to God about our perception of his lack of involvement, lamenting to God about violence, how long, Lord? Lamenting to God about the, all the injustices of this world. And listen, we can't see all those injustices. We just see a glimpse of them. Because if we saw actually the, all the injustices of the world, it would overwhelm us. It would break us. But we ought to lament for the ones that we do see. We should lament about the distortion of truth in this world. We should lament about the brokenness and the polarization of the church in this world. We should lament that the people of God are not being the people of God. And we should say, Lord, what do you step in? Do something about your church. Do something about your broken pastor. A real relationship with God is learning to struggle with him in doubt. In your insecurities. In your pain. In your despair. That's a real relationship with anyone. This world, we should turn our heart to lament. And our lament shouldn't be hopeless. It should be real lament. But our hope is in a God in which we often don't understand. We don't understand his word, we don't understand his promises, but we understand that he is a God that makes these promises and he secures them. God honors our lament. I want you to hear that very clearly. God honors your lament. God honors your complaints. 
God honors and can handle your anger and your grievances. Just take them to him. Don't hold them inside. During this Advent season, during this this waiting life, turn to God in a real relationship. Let us learn to live in faithful doubt. Let us learn to live in the insecurity, in our insecurities with him. Don't deny him. Don't deny him that relationship. Tell him. Cry out to him. Cry out together against God's people. Live in the hope, in the promises of a God who can deal with your faithful doubt. He can deal with them in his way, which is the cross, which is life through death. Let's stop treating God like our Stepford wife, there to do our bidding and our will, and let us realize that we are God's bride. Although, no, not a Stepford bride. We're not automatons. He is transforming us. We are not transforming him. He is transforming us. Just as he transformed Judah, his people, through the Babylon, Babylonian captivity, in which Habakkuk says, Why? Why would you do that? That's terrible. So is God transforming you through the darkness of this world and the darkness of Advent and the, our insecurities with him. God is transforming you in the midst of all this. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Be with him. Turn to him with all your heart. The faithful turn to God with lament even in our doubt, even in our insecurities. Be real with God. Don't live in a Stepford relationship with him. Live in a real relationship with God. Recognizing all of your insecurities. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I wonder about this world so much. I wonder about my brokenness and I wonder about the hurt and harm you bring in this world or you have in this world and I, and I just don't know why. I don't know uh, why there is not a response or I don't know why your plan is this way and I don't know why, why you allow things to happen the way they happen, Lord. But I know you have a plan and you've made promises and I know you're good. Lord, help me to understand my insecurities with you. Help me on my insecurities with you in this world, in our relationship, Lord. Help me to understand your love. Help me to live in the burden of your silence at times and live in the burden of your answer. And let me never flee from you. Let us never flee from you, Lord. Help us to be in a real relationship with you, trusting that you can deal with us because you have. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.